you are listening to Single Serves. My name is Arno Marturet and I am your host. Single Serves is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. For our inaugural season, we have some great guests lined up and you can expect to hear about such topics like social media for architects, organizational culture, criticism in media, and architects not practicing architecture, among many others. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio and follow us on social media under the handle at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. So today we are with uh, Carole Bélanger, city architect for the city of Edmonton. Thanks, Carol, for being on the show. Well, thank you. No problem. So uh, I asked you to join us today to talk about the power of design to uh, increase the, the quality and livability of cities. Can we start with um, you telling us a little bit uh, who you are and what you do specifically? Sure. So um, like you said, so I'm the city architect for the city of Edmonton. And so what really what I do in a way is, is really... Um, it's about helping procure architectural services for the city of Edmonton. So where I sit, sort of in the whole structure of the cities, I sit in a, in a department called Infrastructure Services Department, which is in charge of all facility, open spaces, um, transit, uh, as in sort of the, uh, in terms of the LRT, and uh, road and transportation. So that's all in one large department, of which we do facilities, right? And so when it comes to facilities for the city, we do everything from like the police stations, the libraries, the rec centers, the uh, attractions, the transit facilities, waste, um, and uh, like down, way down to the offices. So we pretty much do all the, uh, the facilities for the city of Edmonton. And so what that means is we basically um, help put together the brief in terms of what we're looking for, and then all of a sudden then do the, the procurement of the architectural services and then follow it through all the way through design to construction. But we're, so, that, so that's sort of the main part of uh, the role. Okay. So how long has your city had this position in place? Um, so we've had it for quite a while um it was somewhat different in that before it used to be sort of the, the office of the city architect where they used to do a lot of in-house design for facilities so you swimming pools and small buildings they would actually do the designs in-house um since 97 when there was a lot of divestment of different uh, uh, staff and the really shrinking of the city um we've also we've changed the model now to being uh, about hiring outside consultants and, and, and shepherding rules and designs that way it's been around since the 60s or 50s i think so it seems to me, and you can tell me if I'm incorrect, that um, Edmonton is one of the few cities with, with such a position. And it also seems, from what I could understood, that there were more cities with this kind of position before. Am I correct in saying that? I would say yes. And there's, in the, the model, there's two different, when you call yourself city architect, there's two different ways. In Europe, city architect is more about almost like what would translate to being like the chief city planner in, in North American terms. Mm-hmm. And in North America, it was more about being in charge of the city facilities. And so there used to be more cities, a lot more cities used to do in-house design as well. And so um, we can get into the, the success of what you've accomplished in the city a little later, but why do you think 
so few cities have a position like yours nowadays? I don't, I, I, myself, I don't really understand why, because it's, I look at it this way. It's like having somebody who's looking out, um, like most cities have on staff, have lawyers and the planners and all kinds of professionals working for them. And so from our point of view, having an architect looking out for the public's best interest in terms of, you know, being, you know, a knowledgeable buyer of services, I think is sort of an important role. And that, you know, over and above, you know, the aspirations of design, it's, it's more, it's just sort of like being, you know, in a, an intelligent buyer of services, right? And having those people versus, you know, from a, for if you were just leaving it up to the purchasing uh, people, I mean, they're used to buying, you know, pens and pads and stuff. They don't necessarily know what what's excellence or how to measure excellence when it comes to design excellence, right? Yeah, that's a very uh, uh, common conversation, actually. And, you know, and you look at the, the role of city architect, I, I look at it this way, is first and foremost, we're sort of a resource uh, from an architectural point of view across the whole city. So if they're having questions in, planning and development about design and, and rezoning and those type of things, they will actually reach out to us. You know, we're also a buyer. We're sort of a curator. If you start talking about design, we're an advocate for design excellence, as well as a promoter of, uh, of, uh, of the city and, and of design in the city. So what is your official mandate as the city architect? From our official mandate, really, it's, it's we're there as a resource, really, to work with our, our, uh, our groups internally and with the public. To, to, in my mind, looking for the best value for the citizens in terms of uh, the design dollars and the, the, the facility dollars that we're spending. So can you walk us through what has changed and how the city has transformed since you've been in that position? So I said, you know, there was a city architect role, you know, a long time ago, but I think really it, you can really go right to the year 2005 when then uh, Mayor Mandel did his, uh, his State of the City address and when he famously said our tolerance for crap architecture is now zero. That rang across the whole city. And so from that statement, all of a sudden, there's a lot of policies that started coming in, like our Edmonton Design Committee, which is a peer review committee, which other cities have. You had that procurement changed in terms of um, it was no longer closed. We had to publish everything over 75,000 and literally it could go to neighboring provinces because we had a trade agreement between the provinces that they, we couldn't... Um, how to put it, uh, we couldn't just prefer our locals. We had to be, it was open to everybody within that, that, that trading block, right? With uh, British Columbia, now Saskatchewan, and the North. Um, so really, it really went to that. And at the same time, we also had a, a, an environmental policy so that all our buildings had to be in silver at the time. So really, we had all these new policies. And because the procurement forces had to go public, our, the reaction was to, if we're going to hire uh, firms to be able to, um, to uh, meet these, these uh, thresholds, that we would measure them against that. So that's why when our procurement went out, we, we do a two-stage, an RFQ and RFP, and we tried to limit the amount of work that people would put in at the RFQ, but we really looked at measuring things like you know, their, their um, track record when it came to sustainability and to design excellence. So we looked at the quality of their renderings, their awards, their publications. Um, so that went a, a, a good way in terms of sort of increasing excellence. But I think the other thing that we did, which I think was one of the biggest challenges that I had at the city, was convincing procurement that we were actually going to peg our fees to the uh, Consulting Architects of Alberta uh, fee guideline, which is similar to the REIC fee guideline. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we pretty much, when we go out for our RFP, we tell people what the budget for the project is. Let's say it's a fire hall and we say it's 20 million, just to use round numbers. They basically can look in the fee guideline, and if they give us that fee within 5%, they get the full points for their for their fees. If they they are they stray from it five percent below or above, they lose a point. Ten percent above or below, they lose two points. Yeah, I mean, you see the pattern. And so, in the end, from our point of view, you can't buy the job by putting very low fees. But at the same time, being a municipality, we just can't pay exorbitant fees, right? Mm -hmm. So, by doing that, we're pretty much saying we're going to pay the same fee to any firm that's submitting. 
And so after that, really, the onus is about really finding out who's excellent, you know, who's good, mediocre, great, or excellent, and then hiring, going out and hiring excellence. Because at that point, they're all going to cost us the same, right? You know, mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, uh, it's actually reassuring that there are, even if they're few and far between examples out there, people doing procurement in a way that's uh, not like everybody else and is actually smart and has long-term um, benefit of the city, I guess, in your case, in mind. So that's great. Do you think the change in procurements are the primary reasons for the change in design quality or are there other factors at play? I would say that for sure. I think having the Edmonton Design Committee as sort of a peer review committee that how do I put it, sort of holds our uh, partner group's feet to the fire in terms of like, look, we need to meet these guidelines, we need to you know, meet design excellence, has helped us be able to hire um, excellent firms. The fact that we're paying full fees, obviously, that attracts firms from across Canada. Um, you know, I mean, that's gone a long way, you know. Can you directly correlate uh, paying uh, full fees to the quality of the product you're getting? That's sort of a harder thing. I mean, one of the things we have noticed is that by paying full fees, we're not getting we're not getting uh, lots of requests for extras, you know, type thing. So for the most part, the firms that we're hiring are giving us a full service. And so aren't, there isn't this nickel and diming when it comes to, to getting the service. Um, I think in terms of the level of service we're getting, I would say it's excellent, you know, from, from the, the design firms and putting in the work that they need to, that needs to be done to, to achieve the, the, the designs. I'm, I know our partner groups are very happy with the firms that we're hiring through this procurement method. I mean, I guess the proof in the pudding to a certain degree is the city of Edmonton has been winning a lot of design awards, um, both locally, provincially, and nationally, which was not happening before. I mean, and again, we're not doing this to get awards, but it's, it's sort of a, it's a, a peer recognition that we, what we are doing is obviously hitting, you know, a, a level of design excellence, you know, right down to the fact that, you know, we won a governor general award last year for the Warden Pavilion, and that was the first building in Edmonton. Uh, in 26 years that had won the Governor General Award. So that's a long route, you know. Yeah, hopefully you'll win many more. So you've talked several times about design excellence, and it's a bit of a, a catch-all term that's been tossed around in the industry. Can you define it in your own terms? What does that mean to you? Uh, design excellence, how to put it? I think design excellence, from my point of view, it's, a bit, it's about having something that inspires people. It's about, it's about reaching. It's, about, uh, it's aspirational. And it's also about um, stretching your dollars to the limit so that something that costs 10 looks like 15 or 17. You know what I mean? It's, it's that. It's aspirational. Obviously, you know, function. It has to function and it has to be safe. But it's, it's taking that, that next level. And, and I think what we're finding with firms that are um, amazing designers, they really know how to stretch that dollar to be able to, to get you something that's aspirational for the same budget. Right? And so from our point of view, we're still, we still have a budget to meet and we're meeting the budget, but it's with a product obviously that, that, that appears to be of a higher value, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about how does good design in the way it's been implemented in Edmonton tangibly improve the quality of its residents? Yeah, and it's, some of those are, it's hard, right? You know, I mean, I know we can talk about um, the pride of place. Um, you could talk about the number of uh, social media mentions, uh, you know what I mean? Like I said, there's all of that's happening, you know, you know what I mean? But I think, you know, for the most part, I think the public are very happy with the facilities they have. Um, it's, uh, but I think a lot of times they don't necessarily know, uh, they can't put their finger on it, what it is. Um, but I know, you know, as, you know, from a library's point of view, I think they've seen their, their, the, the amount of usage of their facilities go up. Um, we've seen that with our rec facilities. 
you know what I mean? I don't know if that you can attribute that to design excellence, but I know there's a sense of pride of, of the facilities that people are in. We've seen, you know, graffiti as an example on some of these new facilities that we have drastically reduced because, you know, there's a, I, sometimes I think people figure, oh my God, look what we have, you know, and there's sort of that, that pride to it. So is there an example that particularly speaks to you? Of design excellence? And, uh, yeah, of a building that you feel particularly... I think one of the buildings that I thought that, that was, it was one of our first buildings was the Commonwealth Rec Center that was Hip Architects locally teamed up with MGMA. And how to put it, the area that it's built is not exactly um, sort of a, it's a, a inner city neighborhood, you know what I mean? And uh, needed a lot of love and care. And I think, you know, when that facility went in, it was also, you know, aspirational in that it was a joint use and the, and the, at the team building with the, the, the football team, so the Eskimos, they had contributed money as well as the city. So it really, it sort of showed off everything in terms of teamwork and, and design excellence. And, and you go to that facility now and the, the pride that the people have, that people are, are meeting up from the neighborhood in the hot tubs on Friday nights. You know what I mean? It's, it's become sort of a real hub for people to the point where I think, you know, we had, we try to do our best when it comes to public consultation, but I think there was no idea in terms of, uh, the amount of children in the neighborhood because at the time it was very much like a um, how do you put it um universal weightlifting like a really heavy uh, weightlifting sort of uh, gym before mm -hmm. that and so there really weren't any children and now all of a sudden all these children have come out of the woodwork to the point where they had to put child minding and so we had to repurpose one of the multi-purpose rooms that was supposed to be a meeting room into a child minding because all of a sudden there's kids all over the place right so it's a, i think that one was uh sticks in my mind in terms of uh, something that was uh that the people were i think very happy to see what they ended up getting in terms of, uh, you know, because if, at that point, I don't think it was, like I said, only our second building that we had procured this way. And I don't think people, um, it, it definitely sort of exceeded their expectations. You know? Well, too many kids is a good problem to have, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what have, have been maybe some of the biggest challenges in, for you in that role so far? Um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, was what I mentioned about procurement. Really, it was, it took years, like, well, I'd say three years of every project we put out having them question the fees and how we weren't, why weren't we hiring the, the firm with the lowest fee? I mean, it seems sort of uh, crazy, but it was, that was one of the, every time it was that same argument that I have to go into a boardroom and argue with the procurement people that we're not buying potatoes or these last year's potatoes or this year's potatoes. And, and I think a lot of it was, was, uh, convincing them i think um you know we, once we started having the success of the, the firms we definitely had our project manager uh, management on board um as well as our leadership and, and council and and the, and the mayor when obviously they, they went to the opening of these facilities it was like they were like rock stars and when you open up these giant crack centers people were like crazy with that with how uh, and you know we're down to the point where we you know we had a mayoral uh, candidate sort of slagging facilities as being gold-plated and the, the public came out like strong on social media going no 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 this is what we're paying tax dollars towards this is what we want mm -hmm. to so but uh, yeah definitely the uh, the the fee um thing with the uh procurement was, but you know what i mean like anything else i think they were also a tool that i helped that i i enjoyed working with them because it was also the reason why because of procurement is the fact that we had to go out uh, publicly for our tenders whereas in the past it was all internal and it was by a uh, shortlisting of, of, of firms and now this is really thrown out to any firm to submit. So what would you recommend to people that may have the same struggle with procurement professionals to do to get them on their side? And it's funny because people used to ask me who you know who did I ask, who did I talk to who, who did I get permission to do what I did and it's, part of it is like you just do it you just do it like I mean I, it's sort of, and that's what we did like I mean as long as I knew we weren't um, breaking any procurement laws and what we were doing was clear and defendable 
we did it. Like, you know, I mean, there was no, there's no, like, I didn't go to council to ask them because they're trusting us with the dollars to, to, to deliver this project. Not that it, they, not, it's not to say that they don't care about the details, but from their point of view, as long as we deliver this project on budget and on time, and that, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a facility that serves its purposes and people love it, you know, how much I paid the consultant, you know, and from our point of view, it really also, being able to peg it to a fee schedule also helped us from a budgeting point of view because we actually knew how much the fees would be. It wasn't like this, like a roll of the dice or a lottery in terms of what the fees were going to be. You know, we could actually budget for the appropriate. Given the success you've had in your city, Edmonton, so far, has there been any changes in other places that you've seen, maybe following example or trying new things that you want to talk about you think are interesting? That part's sort of difficult. And I have, to be honest, I've, I've gone to speak at many other cities. I'd be invited to, 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 to speak at too many cities. And there's, there's a few things. Number one, the structure that we have here in terms of like all facilities under one roof in terms of hiring really helps. You know, it's, and then having the position, but it's also the personality of the people that are in those roles, right? So it's, it's really, I sort of look at it, I've been very lucky to, to have all that come together. A lot of places, let's say the, the, the procurement for the different projects are dispersed amongst different areas, right? Like libraries, they hire their own people. So it would be very difficult to control that, whereas because here at the city, um, it's, it's sort of uh, centralized, it's, it's really helped to do that. And so that's sort of the issue I've noticed when I've gone to other cities is that there, it isn't uh, it isn't as centralized you know it's it's hard to implement in other cities depending on their structure and finding the right person who will be that voice and advocate and push you know what i mean it's uh, I, I laugh you know so many people tell me that i'm not bureaucratic and i go oh, I, I sort of take that as a compliment you know what i mean because in the end it's all about you know it's 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 doing what's what's right you know what i mean and, uh, by the by the by council by the, the citizens so are there any particular examples that uh, jump to your mind that uh, you think are doing great work well, it's sort of like within that, you know, in, in, in Canada, I think there's great work happening all over Canada. And so a lot of those firms are, are doing work here in Edmonton as well. But like I'd have to say, you know, Quebec with their design competitions has, has been delivering pretty amazing work as it is. Quebec the province or the city? Uh, Quebec the province. So that work is happening in Montreal and in smaller municipalities and like I said, in the large centers as well. Um, I, I have gone there to speak to the, uh, to the uh, Center of Design Excellence design bureau there which is interesting i was invited there to go speak and uh it's uh it's interesting though but from that design excellent aspect from their point of view it's really you know only 15 percent of the projects go through a design competition whereas the rest of them are hired and for the most part it's, it, uh, it's on the you know, lowest fee basis getting the, the highest points right so and every time i go to quebec i'm not sure why but it, i look around and i see buildings and it seems like the overall the quality of architecture is higher do you know why can you attribute that to anything well, I think part of part of doing the design competition, what it does is it used to because in the past the design competition, I think we're a little we're way uh, way more open. It allowed for a lot of younger firms and unknown firms to to cut their teeth at doing projects, and so it's it's really added to the the ferment of design excellence there. Um, and it's something that I think they, they're also uh, very much promoting. They've become a um, a design city uh, by UNESCO, I believe. So it's a uh, so they they're definitely uh, have taken it seriously. And so and even the other last year when I had to speak, they're, they're still always looking at improving what they do to try to, you know, obviously to, try to bring that design level to everything. So despite many, many examples of good design having a good uh, positive impact on communities and your cities and elsewhere, it still seems to be notoriously hard to sell. Why do you think that is? I, I don't get it because, well, I mean, from my point of view, I think people see design excellence as frivolous. They see it as, you know, I mean, it's just the, uh, it's just frills and just cut it out and, and but i mean at the same time i think design excellence 
I mean, it, it, to me, it feeds the soul. I, I think people, people love to go to beautiful spaces. They don't know why, but they feel, you know, you know, so to me, if you're able to provide that at the same budget as something that's mundane, I think you, you're not doing your job, you know what I mean, from my point of view. So, so I think, like I said, it's, and I guess from our argument is that we're still meeting that budget, but we're providing spaces that inspire people, right? And so, but I, I get what you're saying. I think people do see design as frivolous. And so what I get, like, uh, what I feel really good about here is, you know, hearing our mayor talking about beauty and the beauty of design and beauty being a good thing. I mean, I look at it, you know, from a sustainable point of view, if it's a beautiful, inspiring facility that, it, it makes you want to maintain that facility once you know what I mean? like, so it's a, I see it as a it's positive all around. So it seems like leadership in your city has been for quite some time interested in good design. Is there any reason why in Edmonton particularly, or it's just the people that happen to be in power? What's the, what's the secret? Uh, but I think, I think there was, you know, I think design here in Edmonton was very strong in the seventies. We had a very, you know, we had a, um, 70s, uh, we had Cardinal was here, we had Barton Myers here. So there was actually, the city was doing some pretty amazing things. <laughs> and then I think through the 80s and 90s, it was very much sort of like a dark ages. You know, I think, I, I think there was a real, at the time, how to put it, I think there was very much a pothole mentality and the, the city really wasn't growing. And I think until Mayor Mandel came along and, and said that famous statement, but also the attitude was like, look, you know, if we're going to be taking tax dollars, we need to be providing people more than just smooth roads, you know what I mean? Like people are, you know what I mean? They, they need facilities like rec centers and fire halls and everything else, right? And so, and I think that that really changed that mentality. But I think, you know, we do have a very uh, progressive council, progressive mayor currently. And, uh, and, and and I think people, a lot of people appreciate it, right? I think Edmonton has one of the, the largest uh, median age, I think in, in North America for major center, I think, or it's 20, 34, 35, which is quite young for, for a city. So it's a very young, progressive city, very innovative city in terms of, uh, people taking risks and, and doing things here. So, well, I think it's probably uh, it's, uh, an ethos that Toronto could learn from a little bit. Um, that's just my opinion. And it, well, it's demonstrated itself in different ways. Like the the, the natural swimming pool that just opened the year before last, that GH three design. Um, it's receiving an REIC award, I think, on Monday for uh, for just that for being for being innovative, right? And it's the first natural swimming pool in Canada, only the second in North America. You know, it's technologies that existed in, in Europe. But the fact that the city here took this, this leap of faith to do something like that, I think is, it's sort of indicative of a lot of things that, that, in terms of that level of risk or tolerance. I wanted to ask you if there was anything else you wanted to add or a message you wanted to send to our listeners, perhaps to people that may be a little frustrated with the bureaucracies they have to deal with. And- uh, you know, honestly, the only thing is that don't give up. <laughs> sort of, and you know what? Find find that find people that, that are like minded, and and in the end, I think you can do a lot. People can do a lot more than they think they can do if they just push and and, and sometimes stop asking and, and just do. You know what I mean? It's a. I know it sounds very easy to say that now, but at the time it was very difficult, right? But it's you know, and it, and the thing is, it's about gaining that trust. Um, and you know, and you have little wins, and those little wins build and build and build, and then you you end up you do have a mandate then to to push for this, right? And so it's a, it's, and I think there's a lot of people out there that can do I think that's great advice. I couldn't agree more myself. So I'm, um, I'm very happy to hear other people thinking the same way. Well, Khaled, I want to thank you very much for your time. It was great to have you on the show and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Follow us on social media at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. 
Until next time, ciao.